I think that if 18 year old me in my college bedroom, if I was listening to this podcast, and there was somebody like me talking right now, and I heard this, like, I think I would feel like somebody was hugging me right now and telling me, listen, like, it's okay. This is Podvocative. Hello, how are you? I'm okay, yeah. I'm, you know, a little all over the place. How are you? Good. I feel like as as sane as anyone can be right now, it's just, it's so sad and it's frustrating, it's upsetting. Scary. Um, so just scary. But I'm thankful for... This episode, I'm thankful for um, the guest that we had this week. She was so enlightening, so raw, honest. And I know um, in the middle of all of this, we don't always think of our mental health first and our well-being, but we, we do obviously need to put that at the forefront and really listen to what we need um, and then also be there for the world the way that we need to be. So, you know, I think that's why I really like that this episode is falling right now, because I think during these times, it's important to do a couple of things. One, it's important to do research and get well read. But on the other hand, you know, getting smart on these things can take a toll on your mental health. So I love that this episode is falling right now, because hopefully it encourages people to not be afraid to reach out and, you know, to really confront what they're feeling, no matter what that is. So the topic that we're going to dive in deeper today is one that relates and it's of mental health. And we have Inara today to share her experiences battling depression and anxiety, the internal battles and struggles. It was to accept what she was facing and confront that she was having mental health issues. And then on the flip side, be okay and be open to seeking help and then how the Ismaili community played a factor and a role in that. And so she also talks to us about her plans for bringing trauma-informed care into the Ismaili community and it is brilliant in our opinion. We think she has great ideas. She is wonderfully eloquent and she shares a tough story with a lot of courage. So we hope you guys take something out of today's episode and we hope you feel encouraged yourselves to seek out any help that you might need or maybe just spark a broader conversation and talk to your friends or your families about this. We're so excited to sit down and talk to you. But before that, for everyone listening, the way we know Inara is she reached out to us on social media and shared her story with us. And we absolutely fell in love. We thought it was such an important, strong message. And so we really wanted her to come on and she graciously accepted. So we're more than thrilled to be here to to get the chance to talk to you, ask you questions and share your story. So if you just want to start out by telling us your name, what you do, where you're from, and then also your favorite fruit. So my name is Inara. I'm actually from Colonial Heights, Virginia. A lot of people don't know where that is. It's a little south of Richmond, but I kind of consider myself now from Chapel Hill. I go to UNC and I know Fraheen might not like that because she's from Duke. (laughs) Yeah. But I think my favorite fruit actually is, I like peaches. It's a unique one. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, I was going to say peaches isn't even on like my re- rotation of 
<laughs> cool. So again, Inara is wonderful for those of you listening for reaching out to us and incredibly brave for coming on here and sharing her story. Inara, do you kind of want to walk us through your mental health journey? Talk us through, you know, why you're here today. So I went into college as an out-of-state student. I didn't know anybody at my university. I had a lot of unresolved trauma going in and I started my courses. I tried to do my daily activities, but then I realized realized that I kind of started walking through this fog. I felt like I was just walking through these clouds and not fully being present in my days. And it was really hard for me to get up most days. Like my roommate would come in at like 3 p.m. and I would still be in bed. I would lose interest in things that used to interest me. And I started to recognize that what I was going through was just not okay. And I started Googling symptoms of depression and anxiety. And I started tick marking all these boxes. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think I am depressed and I think I am anxious. Was that hard for you to admit to yourself? Yes, it was incredibly hard. I think I realized back in like September, my freshman year, and it wasn't till December that I had the courage to go seek out help. I can't tell you how many times I walked halfway to my counseling and psychology services and I walked back because it is incredibly hard to (laughs) make that first step and not many people acknowledge that. And there's also just so much stigma, especially in our community about mental health. That is also one of the reasons that I wanted to share my story is because I think one of the best ways to break stigma is through a contact approach. It's like one way to just talk about mental illness and to talk about like, yes, you should seek therapy, but it's a whole different thing to share your story and to say that it's okay to not be okay and to say that there are other people like you. Did you have anyone like that for you? I was completely on my own at that point. I would like to think of myself as a pretty religious person. So I was looking for faith for answers, but I was battling with the whole idea of I am such a religious person. So then why am I struggling with mental health? Like, am I not grateful enough? Like what is happening with me? And I didn't have anyone in my community to go to, to answer these questions. And, and it was just really hard for me to seek out that support. So no, I didn't really have anybody. And so it was definitely hard. A lot of the time people are like, well, you know, God has given me so much and I have such a great life and whatever. So like, why am I feeling this way? And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle to resolve. Do you, think that your connection to your faith, your belief in God, do you think that is why you were having a hard time getting to, you know, the CAPS Center? Or was it something that you just like, if you did it, it would sort of make it real? I think it was both. And also, I felt like I was disappointing people in my family. If I was to go to my parents and be like, listen, I am depressed, and I am anxious that they would be disappointed in me. Because it's not, again, something that you talk about so openly, because there's like a culture gap, there's a generational gap, because your parents will tell you that they're stressed and that they, they're they worried about putting food on the table, but they won't say that they're anxious about it. So they won't use those terms. So I felt like I was disappointing my parents in a sense, because I didn't want to admit that I was depressed and anxious because they offered me everything and more in life. So yeah. I didn't seem like I was ungrateful for anything. What I didn't realize was that depression in itself so much more than just something that was stemmed from trauma. There was a lot of biomedical aspect to it. There was genetics involved in it. So it was a mix of my faith telling me that, you know, just just go pray. And it was 
me not wanting to admit it. And it was me fearing that I was going to disappoint my parents that stopped me from seeking out that support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like sometimes we can internalize saying like, oh, our parents are going to think, oh, what more could I have done on my part? And it's you never want to make them feel like it's on them, you know, anything that you're going through. And it's and it shouldn't be, you know, it's it's completely different. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, I mean, it's just biology, right? Like it's something that exists Mm -hmm. within your body. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people to face because sometimes obviously depression and anxiety are caused by trauma. So I think (laughs) people often just associate it with that. And I think it is so important to say, look, you can have this incredible life and you can be given everything you could ever ask for and still struggle. Especially, I think, within like the South Asian community because there's so much associated with mental health and with being depressed and, and you know, with like productivity. Like, I'm sure it was even hard for you to tell your parents that you couldn't get out of bed or that you were in bed until 3 p.m. At what point did you tell them that? Um, So it was before therapy that I went up to them and I said, what's happening with me is just as valid as me having a physical illness. And that if I wanted to serve others in the future, and if I wanted to be a better person in the future, I needed to work on myself and I needed to treat myself first. I think by having these open and honest conversations, they became some of my best support systems. And it's actually proven that having support systems actually buffers your stress and your depression and your anxiety. But also, it's not everyone's story that they have these support systems. And so that's so important to acknowledge. Yeah, Yeah, completely. You were privileged. Mm-hmm. Was it a was it a process to bring them on board with helping them understand everything you were going through? Or was that a pretty like immediate process? Were you nervous? Did you were you able to do it on the first time? Or did, did it take you a while to be like, okay, I want to tell them eventually? Yeah. So again, like I dealt with the whole like, I don't want to disappoint them because I didn't want to make them feel like they've done anything wrong. But in seeking out that support was in itself not an easy journey. Just being able to say, okay, I need help wasn't enough. Because when I went and sought out a psychiatrist, and when I went and sought out a therapist, it was then a challenge of finding a therapist that matched with what I needed and who understood my culture barriers and what I had dealt with. Because there aren't a lot of therapists out there who understands what the barriers come with in the South Asian community and what kind of things they grew up with. I didn't realize that was such a big part of it. Like finding a therapist that can understand you, not even just, okay, I'm seeing someone, but seeing someone who understands you. And it's, I feel like it's really similar to like a whole dating process where you have to go through those first two, three sessions, see if it's a match. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then you have to go through the process of explaining your whole story again. And it's, it can be frustrating. So how did you find someone that you connected with that you felt like could help you? Yeah. So I went on psychologytoday.com and I just basically looked at different profiles. I read their bios and I tried to find someone who had some kind of roots of Arab in them because I am also half Arab. So I did go through a couple of therapists who didn't really know where I was coming from. And I had to really sort through them. And it wasn't easy. It was really discouraging because I was I would go through these sessions and I would just feel so disheartened coming out of them. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I just feel like I'm not going anywhere. And I think that's like another thing that's super important when it comes to mental health and the process of healing and the process of getting through it is that there's not really getting through it. It's 
more so learning how to cope with it. It's also not like a linear process and there's going to be ups and downs. Today I can talk about it because of all the the therapies I've done and all the support that I've sought out, but I still have bad days. Like there are like there are good and bad days. That's such an important message. I feel like people just think that like you go to therapy and you're like magically healed and are constant just learning how to cope with it is where the magic is is when you can recognize your behaviors and you can deal with it in a healthier manner. Yeah. Yeah. I think that describing it as not linear is something that I'm going to take with me coming out of this because I think that is really, really important. I think, you know, if you were to look at this and plot what a mental health journey looks like, it's not always that you're going to be getting better. And sometimes I think it's going to, maybe you can attest to this, like, does it ever feel like it's one step forward, two steps back in certain scenarios, like especially when you sought out therapy? Oh, definitely. I would feel like some days that like, oh my gosh, like I've definitely overcome depression. Like I would get so excited, but then I would yeah. like kick back in the face and be like, in heart, what are you doing? Like you're literally crying like every other day. And it was hard for me to accept the fact that this wasn't something that had like a cure, that this was something that was an ongoing thing that needed to be taught how to cope with. And it's, again, it's definitely something that you have to learn how to walk with. And it's a journey that's not linear at all. So uh, in that vein of like, if people don't understand that process, were there any unintentional behaviors or phrases people would say to you that um, were triggering or that would make things worse and they didn't realize it? Like, what are some things that people who aren't as familiar should avoid saying and what can they do to be more supportive? I think something that like I've heard before that have kind of made me feel disappointed in my progress and in my journey have simply been just go pray more because mm. it's hard because yeah I, I am a pretty religious person but again when it came to mental health I had to learn how to recognize that faith was a tool it wasn't the answer for me that's at that point because mental health was an illness that had a cure I think that speaks volumes because I think there's a lot of people that say things like happiness is a choice just choose it you know in a sense like sure right like we can choose Mm -hmm. to tell ourselves positive things but in a much broader sense it it makes depression or anxiety or mental health like it makes that sound like a choice like if happiness is a choice it makes depression sound like a choice and that's something that I think phrasing and that kind of language and that narrative I think is kind of dangerous I don't know if you would agree no it is because it kind of normalizes depression in a way that it doesn't make it an illness again it makes it a choice when it isn't a choice because it is an illness it's as if saying that you getting the flu is by choice when it isn't. Yeah. Like you catch it. It almost like trivializes your experiences. If I prayed more, would I like automatically be better? And that's not how like it works. Like you said, it's a tool, but it's not the answer, which I think. Yeah, I love when you said that. That alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's super important for my journey, especially is I was able to pick up these different tools like my faith, like therapy. I have a support system like my family and my close friends And I like to move on. Every day is a new battle, especially with people who live with depression and anxiety. And with these tools in your back pocket, you learn how to cope with these illnesses. But again, it's okay to not be okay. And I think that's also super important to acknowledge. Absolutely. I think that's very important. What is something that you wish people understood better or that you think people misunderstand about mental illness or mental health? 
I wish people knew that people who suffered with mental illness, it like it's not always the same thing every day for them. It's always something, well, at least for me especially, it's it was almost like it was a new thing for me every day, kind of. Like there were some yeah. good days for me. And then when I had those good days, it was almost as if people would assume that I wasn't struggling on those other days, that I was faking it. And that was really hard for me. And just because somebody is, putting themselves out there and trying to socialize and be out there doesn't mean that they're struggling with something on the inside. Like, I don't think it's right for people to just assume things about other people without actually knowing what their story is. And so I think that's something that I really wish people would understand, especially about mental health, is that everybody struggles with something and everybody is bound to struggle with some sort of mental health issues. And that it's going to look different for everybody and to take a little bit of grace for themselves and for other people is super, super important, especially if we all want to progress and grow as a community. Yeah, I think having that grace is something that is really important with regards to mental health and obviously with regards to a lot um, going on in the world, etc. But going through that and sort of understanding that you were going through something like, did you feel like you're, you know, the people that were around you or when you started talking about it, or when you came out with it, did you feel like you were met with that grace? Or was it uncomfortable for you to, to tell people? So honestly, the first year and a half, I didn't tell anybody, because I was super ashamed that I was seeking out this help that I was not okay because of all the stigma. Again, like I didn't have any stories, nobody to like go up to for them to tell me that, hey, listen to me, like this is okay. Like it's okay to not be okay once again. Like I know what you're going through or like at least I don't know what you're going through, but I understand that your feelings are valid. So I don't know if I would have been met with grace that first year and a half, but when I did approach the select few people that I did later on, they were very, very kind. But that year and a half, I did lose a lot of people in my life that just didn't understand what I was going through because I did have to, like, I didn't intentionally detach from these people, but it was really, really hard. But I think personally for me that it was all a part of this journey of healing for me. And I'm glad that it's led to who I am today. So when you were going through this period, that year and a half that you talked about, did you feel yourself, because you said you were religious, right, in general, did you feel like you distanced yourself from like the Ismaili community, whether it was intentional or unintentional, or did you feel like you kind of like found solace in going to Jamaat Kana? Like, what was your relationship with the Ismaili faith? So I didn't have a Kana near me. It was two hours away. And it's really hard for me to answer this question just because I also differentiate between spirituality and being religious. Like I find myself to be a more spiritual person than a religious person. I did not turn to the Ismaili community, the community itself, but I always prayed, but I didn't have that community that I could go to and be like, listen, I am battling, like I am struggling. Is anybody out there? Please help me. And that is also why like, I think this podcast is such a great, great platform because it is inviting people to share their stories and telling people, listen, 
we have these stories and it's okay. Completely. Because, you know, the Ismaili community, and I mean, this is obvious, but even for anybody listening, it's not just a religion, right? We are yeah. so embedded in the community. And do you think that the close-knitness of the Ismaili community makes it harder for these things to be openly talked about, given how much people exchange with each other, how fast word spreads? Like, did that make it harder for you? Is that something that you considered? I think, yes, that's definitely something that I considered. But I think I was more afraid of not being met with grace. Like, there weren't conversations like these that were being held at that time. And I think that as we have more of these conversations and as we talk more about treating these conversations with grace and having open dialogues about mental health, that I think this close-knit community that we have could actually be an advantage instead of something that kind of becomes a disadvantage at some point. Because again, it goes back to the, I don't want anybody thinking that I don't offer the best for my kid or I don't want anyone thinking that my kid isn't the best person. I don't want my kid thinking that his faith isn't completely strong. Like if he's depressed, that means something is wrong. Yeah. And I think just in general, any kind of weakness is just seen as a negative versus shifting the perspective of admitting that you recognize something is going on is a strength and realizing how to handle it is a strength. Do you think there's more to why the stigma is so deeply rooted? And do you think you were part of a community where it was talked about more, say like in your school, was it talked about more or was it just there's no place? So I kind of had a more so self journey, if that makes sense, like, because I really internalized this. And I was so scared of disappointing people around me, because these stigmas were so ingrained in my mind that what was happening to me was not normal, like it was not okay. Like I had stories of depression and anxiety being something that only crazy people went through. Those were the narratives that were out there. And they're still out there. So going back to like, how I was able to seek out these support systems that I did. I did that again, like by seeking out these therapists. And it was really hard because I went through three therapists before finding the therapist that I really clicked with. And money was something that was also a thing because it wasn't cheap at all. (laughs) Therapy is not cheap. And that's another hurdle. And so there are so many obstacles in just seeking out the support. And so it's really disheartening being able to navigate your way in this journey. But when I was able to do it, I talked with my therapists for a couple of years and we talked about my triggers. We talked about surrounding myself with a solid support system. Again, I used faith as a tool for me that really helped. My Mm -hmm. parents were there for me. And I think that if 18-year-old me in my college bedroom, if I was listening to this podcast and there was somebody like me talking right now and I heard this, like I think I would feel like somebody was hugging me right now and telling me, listen, like it's okay. I know how you feel. Like I'm going through these things as well. Like you're not alone. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I am offering you a virtual safe hug. (laughs) Virtual hug to everyone. Um, I have a really quick follow up that I I wanted to ask you because you mentioned that you learned what your triggers are with your therapist. Do you share your triggers with those close to you so that they're aware so that they can be more mindful of them? Or is that something that's really just for like your own growth and healing? It's just something for my own growth and healing. And I am still working through these things. Like I am still on my journey. I am I believe at the best place that I have been in my entire life. But there is also 
so much growth and healing that still needs to be done. And Mm -hmm. I think that being able to tell people my triggers and come out with those things is something that'll come down the line, hopefully. So I know that a lot of people can be nervous to go to therapy. Um, One aspect of it obviously being cost, but I think there's so much more beyond that. I think just being that vulnerable to someone and not knowing what the potential outcome could be, I think is just scary in general. I want to know, like, what is something that you can share about therapy? What is something you want people to know about therapy that you didn't know going in? So going into therapy, I thought it was just basically going to be me sitting on a chair getting advice. I didn't realize that it was me. Yes, that's yeah, what's like portrayed in media, down. like you're sleeping on a yeah. couch. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, really yeah, sad yeah. when I okay. walked into my first therapist office and saw that there was no couch. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah, my therapist <laughs> office had a creepy girl in it. I was like, should you have <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't really prepared to talk as much as she made me talk. And she was like, okay, so talk about you. How are you? And I'm like, so you're not going to tell me how to fix my life like right now? You know, like you're not going to tell me the solutions to my problems at this moment. Yeah, are you like, <laughs> going to tell me yeah. step by step like ABC and then I'm cured? That's yeah. Yeah. Like you mean there's no formula to this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because... I mean, though depression and anxiety is an illness that requires a cure, it requires a holistic cure. It's not like a one size type of thing for everybody. And so I didn't realize that going in. I was like, oh, crap, (laughs) I actually have to like work through these things and kind of figure out the solutions myself. And a therapist is just supposed to guide you. Again, like you said, like a therapist is a tool, not the answer. And I But you know, when you sit down, like in front of your therapist, did you find it hard to to talk to her was therapy something that you were ready for and you kind of felt okay opening up and and sharing with somebody finally especially because you'd been struggling for a while before you sought it or were you still sort of in this shell even after you got there and a little bit hesitant while you were there well the third time around I just got so tired of repeating the story again and again I had bought like a notebook paper and I had put in circles with everything that I wanted to say and kind of filled it in and I'd be like here take this this I could see people definitely being shy. And I think that therapists realize that. And I could also see people come in and kind of just bear their soul out. And I think both are totally valid. And I think everybody has the right to go at their own pace and that there is no right way to approach therapy or there is no right way to approach how you want to work on yourself and your mental health. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because I feel like as a person, I am very open to sharing. Like I will share my life with people that I've known for like 10 minutes but as soon as I got into my like therapist's office and I sat down she would ask me these questions and I would like one word her like I I mean it was just uncharacteristic for Mm -hmm. me and I like I guess I shocked myself so it's strange how your relationship with therapy can be so different from your depending on who you are yeah 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 Yeah. I'm generally closed off unless I'm really comfortable with you so on my first meeting with my therapist she was like okay tell me like why like what makes you sad and tell me about this and this and I was like wait 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 like why should I tell you like who are you and I just like felt like closed up and defensive but like obviously you have to keep reminding yourself that it's okay to let down those walls and it's okay to be vulnerable I mean I it's so I I just love that we're having this conversation because it's so different 
for everybody. And I think people expect it to be a certain way based on what they see on TV or who they talk to. Like you just go into your therapist's office and suddenly it's like, oh, wait, lifted and (laughs) whatever you see. But it's yeah, I'm really glad you addressed that. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes like leaving therapy, you feel a lot more weight than coming in, acknowledging that you're doing something for yourself and that you're trying to be better and do better for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Normalizing going to therapy is one thing, but normalizing feeling bad in therapy or switching therapists or trying a bunch of new things like that is a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But then like also making sure that you're validating and assuring yourself that in seeking out these help, you are showing enormous courage and enormous strength. All these things are not you failing at seeking out sources. It's you actually being able to progress on your mental health journey. And that was really hard for me to acknowledge that like, if this didn't work, I was like, well, crap, like, I really suck. But then over time, I was like, wait, this suck, but I can do something else. And I was actually proud of myself and I had support systems who were like, no, like you should feel proud that you acknowledge that this didn't work for you because it takes enormous courage to be able to come back and tell yourself that this doesn't work. I need to do better or I need something else. So in those times, you know, where maybe therapy wasn't the best or those times where you right before you realize maybe I need something different. How did you push through that? Just because I feel like I can definitely like hear the strength in your voice now and I can hear like how much you've overcome where you've recognized so much of that. But I feel like if you are going through it, how do you continuously convince yourself? No, I'm doing the right thing for myself and to keep fighting for yourself. For me, it was finding a purpose in life. I know it's it sounds really cliche, but I kind of saw that everything that I was going through was happening so that I could help someone just like me out there. And that's why I want to pursue a clinical social work degree and become a therapist myself. And so that's what kept me going. And I traveled and I traveled and I studied abroad and I went to villages in Honduras and I And I tried to find something to hold on to. I tried to find something that I could look forward to in the future. I tried to also recognize that in order to be able to able to see the light, you have to recognize the darkness. And that's really, really hard to acknowledge. And that's a privilege that I will definitely acknowledge for myself. But I think taking it one day at a time and finding one thing to look forward to, if that's even taking a shower or if that being able to buy that book tomorrow or if that's getting on that FaceTime with your friend. It's so important to just set something up, to have something to look forward to, to have a purpose. That's a really, really important message. I want to ask you, what were some of those things for you? Like, you know, when you said it's all about finding the light, when you were feeling very low, Mm -hmm. what were things, or even not when you're feeling really low, right? Like even just generally as you go about your day to day, what are things that really help you push through? So besides prayer, it was definitely my family. And it was also just, again, this like passion of mine to be able to help another Inara out there because I would never want somebody to go through what I've been through alone. And also something that's been that lightened in my life have been my close friends who I can always just call up and be like, hey, can we Netflix watch Party a Movie? And they'd be more than (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think just surrounding yourself with people that make you happy and it's okay to be selfish about that. I think it's really important. Mm 
to say that, that it's okay to be selfish with who you surround yourself with. That's my light. It's my family, my faith, and my friends. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I'm so excited to hear, like, what does the future hold for you? I know you said you found purpose in helping others out there. Are you going to continue being an advocate? What does the general Mm -hmm. future hold for you? And what are you excited about? Yeah, you'd mentioned that master's program. Yeah. So hopefully, after my senior year, attend a master's of social work program and get my license in a clinical social work and do some micro clinical work. But then I also am super interested in bringing that trauma informed care into communities like our smiley community within our institutions and like when we do our service work and when we do help people to make sure that we are trauma-informed ourselves I think that's also important and so I'm always picturing the micro and the macro at the same time is that something that you not necessarily have a plan for but is that something that you have an idea surrounding how you would bring it to the smiley community or are there things that you've seen have worked for other communities that might be like ours So um, when I studied abroad in Jordan, I interned at a place called Happiness Again. And it's a little organization where Syrian refugee children will come in once a day and there will be trauma-informed workers that will do art therapy with the kids and will do music therapy with the kids. But it will be like those daily activities, but it would be infused with those trauma-informed workers, two of them which are actual psychologists. So, and I know that especially where I'm from in Richmond, there's a lot of refugees that have come in from Afghanistan. And so being able to train some of our REC professionals in trauma care and then infuse them within our REC could impact the future of these kids so much. Yeah. Oh my God, I have goosebumps just like... like, I can just imagine... (laughs) <laughs> impact being so tremendous yeah. and, and even if it just helps one person I feel like that'll be just so worth it and so yeah and so I mean I think you mentioned REC which is something I hadn't even thought about with regards to this conversation yeah. really yeah. quick once again for everyone listening REC is religious education center so that thank you like yes. our <laughs> Sunday school yeah continue yeah Like something as simple as maybe even just like telling us, you know, how you feel. Come, feel free to come to your teachers if you feel like you're struggling or having a bad day or dealing with something at home. Like, I think if that was embedded in and something that kids heard starting at a young age, we might have a very different landscape. And then on the flip side, like training teachers to be able to handle any kind of situation so they're not bonding in toxic ways or triggering ways unintentionally, you know? Thank you for sharing that. I oh, this know, is I have incredible so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you <laughs> for awesome. allowing this platform to be a thing so that we can approach these stigmas through a contact approach and normalize the stigmas. Yeah. It's super powerful to make sure that nobody feels alone. It's like yeah. we're kind of hugging everybody out there and being like, listen, you <laughs> what to say. <laughs> I'm literally yeah. for anyone listening I'm like on the verge of tears yeah like <laughs> no, yeah, this is I'm, exactly I'm, why we were yeah. fired to start this and, yeah. and thank you so much for for being brave enough to share your story for the benefit of others so thank, thank you, you thank for you. DMing us yeah for sliding into our DMs <laughs> <laughs> the only DM I'll slide into <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right. So, yeah, I think that was most of our questions. But now we get to jump into a part of the interview that's called Rapid Fire. 
Okay. So it's going to be 90 seconds, and we're going to ask you, we have 12 questions, and your goal is to try to get to through most of them. And um, just the first phrase or whatever comes to your mind. Three, two, one, go. What's your favorite form of potato? Fries. Favorite holiday? Christmas. What's something you should do but probably won't get around to? Uh, run. <laughs> <laughs> what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? At Chick-fil-A, I get a spicy chicken sandwich meal. Yum. <laughs> if you were an inanimate object, what would you be? I'd be a book. Window or aisle? Uh, aisle, 100%. If you were famous, what would you be famous for? For a sitcom. If you could raid one person's closet, whose would it be? Mindy Kaling. At what age did you learn the most about yourself? 19. What TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Um, friends. Okay, what compliment do you like receiving the most? I have a beautiful heart. What's the last Aww. book you read? Road Trip Summer. Crushed it. it with 20 seconds to go. No <laughs> oh other guest has God. gotten through all 12 questions. You are our best rapid I'm fire impressed. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yay. Ooh, that was, I, I, I broke a sweat. I broke a sweat. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Ooh, I know we yeah. both really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing this hour with us and for hearing Inara's story. So now we're going to jump into the listener segment where we asked all of you on Instagram to share some of your lights, like Inara mentioned in the episode. Um, so before we do that, should we share some of ours, Maureen? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously quarantine and life post-COVID has brought out a whole separate array of lights in my life. So I have been quarantined at my parents' house. And while I miss New York City a ton, something that recently I think has added a lot of joy for me is every Saturday night now, my family will watch a Pixar movie together. So we have so far gone through Coco, Wally, Frozen 2, Onward, Inside Out. Coco is so good. Oh Coco is a masterpiece. It's like everything about it. Anyway, we maybe can have an episode just on how good Coco is. Um, I wouldn't veto that, but good try. <laughs> I would say mine is similar in that my light is sharing these small moments that I am getting to with my family since I'm also quarantined at home as well. So two days ago, I was with my mom in the kitchen and I was eating and she was just drinking water like normal. And then I made a casual joke and then she laughed so hard that she had to <laughs> spit out her water and she just couldn't stop laughing for another like five minutes. And so just moments like that where I get to make her laugh and see her smile. Should we jump into some listener lights? Let's do it. So we had a few listeners share some things that bring them light and we aren't going to go through all of them, but thank you to everybody who submitted. We loved reading through them. So someone said something that brings her light is yoga. Um, while I could appreciate that, that one was actually from our friend Zara and she knows that she and I hate yoga. So she was probably instigated. Clarification, I only like hot yoga. Please don't say I hate all yoga. <laughs> I hate basically all yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Another one was from Miriam. She said, the colors of the ocean bring her light, which was so poetic. That is super poetic, yeah. Um, another one is Shahina. Shahina said her kane kiddos bring her light. <laughs> and then Ginan Guru said, Ginan's surprisingly, Ginan's bring him light. Um, we also have two really special ones that really stuck with us, so I can start and share Alvina's story. Faith can bring light in all of us. Faith brings hope, and hope brings happiness. Almost four years back, 
I lost my father in an accident, and being the youngest child in the family, it wasn't easy. I had anxiety for the next two years. During a camp, I read a farman from Molina Hashimam, where he mentions happiness is connected to faith and only faith can bring happiness in this life. From then on, I have worked on my faith and trust me, I have never been this composed. Thank you, Alvina. So special. Thank you, Alvina, for sharing your story. Um, I'm going to read one that stuck with me. So this is from Sarah from Toronto. So she says, my best friend has been the light in my life since we first met in 2010. She radiates sunshine and good vibes, even when she's feeling low. She manages to muster up this light from nowhere to help others out of the darkness. She amazes me. For context, I have suffered from depression for my entire life. At one of my lowest lows, I was terrified of going home from university for break, as it's always been challenging for me to navigate through my family dynamic. This was less than a year into our friendship, and though she knew about my depression, she had never seen me like that. She asked me what was different recently. That was when it hit me. She was what made the difference. She was the first person to ever really and truly love me unconditionally, to accept my flaws, my shortcomings, my temper, and she always met me with pure love. So shout out to Sarah and her best friend. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Well, this wraps up our episode for this week. Thanks again for listening. And our DMs are always open. Our email inbox is always open, podvocative at gmail. We would love to hear from you. Feedback, thoughts, questions, comments, likes, dislikes, please reach out. And to everyone that already has reached out with their thoughts, thank you so much. It means everything. And we hope that you're loving it. And we'll see you next week.